Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is To Lead is to Learn. In this new podcast, we're going to be exploring leadership theories and practices. In the final part of our mini-series on motivation, we cover our final four pieces of research before looking to draw together the common threads within these studies to build a workable approach to being the motivational leader. As we have seen in our first two episodes, if you have not yet listened to these, please make sure to go back and give them a listen first. There appears to not only be some form of hierarchy when it comes to motivating factors, but these appear to come in two forms, intrinsic and extrinsic. The former are more powerful, while the latter appears to evolve in a way which makes the previous motivating factors less so. While motivation is a key factor in determining the extent of time, effort and value we place on a given task, it is appearing to be much more complex, with a network of interlinking factors as opposed to a cause and effect kind of system. Our working environments take up only a small section of our lives. As such, a holistic view is necessary in order to gain a real understanding of our motivational psyche. Within the workplace, it is appearing necessary for leaders to consider individual followers in a way which acknowledges the relationship as more than the simple transactional model it has historically been. Labour and work for money. But how can this be achieved? In what way does the research suggest we go about tapping into this pinnacle of motivational drivers, the intrinsic motivators? The wealth of research which has been done has helped to uncover some of the potential systems in place within the human psyche but they do not give us a simple user manual to follow. Instead, it is up to us to determine how to go about using what is currently published. At the end of this episode, I will look to draw together some of the work within motivational theory to suggest an approach which may help in becoming the motivational leader. In 1968, Dr. Edwin Locke and Dr. Gary Latham published their theory of goal setting. In doing so, they suggested five elements which needed to be in place for individuals to achieve their goals. Locke had led the way with his research into the connection between goal setting and motivation in an article he called Toward a Theory of Task Motivation and Incentives. Within this article, he showed that clear goals and appropriate feedback motivates employees towards the completion of a task. He highlighted the act of working towards the goal as a major source of motivation, which resulted in improved performance. The work which he did also highlighted the link between both the level of difficulty of the goal, alongside how specific it was, with how hard people tended to work to achieve it. However, he emphasised that the higher performance came from challenging tasks, which were not too challenging. Within his studies, he found that being specific with goal setting provided a clearer idea of success. What he found was that try hard or do your best instructions were less effective in garnering high performance than try to get more than 80% correct or concentrate on beating your best time. 
However, the challenge was key too, as having a goal that was too easy to achieve or a task that was too simple to complete did not stimulate a motivational response. What his body of work had found was something which we now take for granted. Hard goals are more motivating than easy ones. This is self-explanatory to us now. When we achieve something we have worked hard for, we get a greater sense of accomplishment. Dr Gary Latham then took this concept of goal setting to the workplace. What he found supported Locke's findings. Working together, they published the culmination of their work in 1990 in a book entitled A Theory of Goal Setting and Task Performance. This book took the findings of challenge and specificness in terms of goals alongside five other characteristics which are necessary for successful goal setting. The first of these five principles is clarity. When the goal which is set is clear, it becomes easier to know and keep hold of what it is which one is trying to achieve. The clarity also helps to identify ways of measuring success as results or outcomes can be accurately measured against a clear target. The behaviours which have been employed within working towards the goal can also easily be discerned and rewarded. One model which is often used in this way is the concept of smart targets. S being specific, know what you are trying to achieve. M is then measurable, make sure you're able to measure your progress in order to identify that progress is actually being made. A is achievable, it has to be a goal which you are able to achieve and not something which is beyond your current or future capabilities. R is realistic, this tells us that the goal must be within the scope and remit of your role, responsibility or the environment. In other words, this is not to do with your current or future capabilities. Instead, it has to be a realistic goal that someone, anyone, should be able to do. T, then, is timely. The goal needs a time limit or a time check on it. It cannot be never-ending. Otherwise, it is not a goal but a hope. We cannot measure against an infinite goal. We measure our progress at specific points along the journey. This does not mean that the goal does not sit within an umbrella which is not time-bound or infinite, but specific goals must be set within the overriding outlook. These then get reviewed regularly and adapted. Clear goals and measured progress towards these are what motivates us, rather than vague hopes such as I want to get better at. This statement is hard to measure. What does getting better look like? How will you know you got better? Why are we even looking to get better? What is the overarching umbrella which we are looking to work towards? The second principle is challenge. When we set goals, they cannot be too easy as they become mundane and can actually work as demotivators. We lose interest and this puts us off doing similar tasks again in the future. Instead, we need to look to challenge ourselves. The addition of a challenge which pushes us out of our comfort zone stimulates our motivational system. However, we must be careful not to set the goal to be too challenging too quickly. It cannot be too far out of our current ability, otherwise we might experience failure, which again is a demotivator. This feeds into flow states. 
which takes the basis that all individuals seek growth and learning. However, we cannot pitch the goal outside of what we call our flow state. It cannot be too challenging or too easy. There is a fine balance between capability and challenge. Computer games work in this exact way. They start with level one, which provides low challenge. Here the player learns the rules of the game and the level of control they have over the game. Then, incrementally, the challenge is increased as the player progresses through and improves their capability. At each level, there is a clear goal which measures the success and celebrates this, providing positive affirmation. How can we, as a leader, achieve this? We provide the third axes in the relationship. There is a triad of parties within each organisation. The challenge of the task is the first element. The second is the capability of the individual, with the third being the level of support provided. We as leaders are necessary as we help to shape the environment in terms of the support available. The third principle is commitment. When setting goals, it is important that the individual or the team understand and then agree to the goals. Goals cannot be set for anyone. In order to stimulate the motivational system, they must be agreed upon by the individual themselves. This gets what we call buy-in. Individuals will more likely agree to a goal if they feel they have been involved in the process of setting them. This provides ownership, which is both empowering and motivating. This does not mean that every goal has to be negotiated with an individual, but providing the environment where individuals feel included within the goal setting process will help them to buy in and personally own and be motivated towards achieving the goal themselves. The fourth principle is feedback. This is a two-way process and is cyclic. In terms of a working relationship, the process must start with listening to feedback from the individual for whom the goal is being set. This comes first within the selection of the right goal in the first place. Then there is a reversal of the feedback pathway where you provide honest and positive feedback to the individual on their progress. At this point, they can provide you with feedback again on how they are experiencing the process and progress towards the goal. Take for example, the relationship between a personal trainer and their client. There is a clear goal set out and agreed upon, losing a few pounds and increasing their level of fitness in order to run a 5K in say three months time. This is discussed and agreed upon based on a conversation about the personal targets which a client has. From this, the process and goals along the way is established by the personal trainer and shared with the client. They are challenging and aspirational. However, the pathway to success is laid out and it shows a clear way to be achieved and therefore they are agreed upon. However, from continued monitoring and discussion, targets are either met or fallen short, upon which there is a further discussion and a re-establishing of the goals and targets always keeping in mind the larger target. The relationship between the trainer and client is always kept as the primary focus. However, there is always a target to aim for, which is reviewed against, and the motivation lies within the client. Where motivation wanes, there is a discussion and a re-establishing of the desires of the client. Has the ultimate goal changed? 
If so, why? Does the process need to adapt to keep this in mind? At all times, the client owns the process. The fifth principle is complexity. Remember at this point that all goals are clear and challenging, they are shared and therefore committed to, and there is a constant pathway allowing for feedback. However, an individual cannot continue to work towards a goal if the process to achieve it is too complex. With complexity comes added challenge, and an individual's capabilities must match the challenge in order to achieve flow and therefore motivation. Complexity can become overwhelming. This can be complex in terms of the overlapping and intertwining of the levels of challenge, or purely in terms of the number of hoops which must be jumped through in order to achieve success. These hoops can be simple steps, but if there are too many, then this can demotivate against the larger, more motivating goal itself. Complexity adds to the demand of a task. The demand is either in terms of time or energy spent on the task. This can lead to individuals pushing themselves too much in order to overcome the complexity, which demotivates the individual along the way and ultimately causes burnout. When the pot of energy and motivation runs dry, it is very hard to regain and recharge. In 1969, Clayton Paul Aldifer developed upon Maslow's hierarchy of needs, building a theory of his own. This new theory suggested that there are three groups of core needs, the existence, E, relatedness, R, and growth, G. Hence the name ERG theory, or ERG theory. These three groups are aligned with Maslow's levels. Existence are aligned with the physiological needs, relatedness are aligned with the social needs, and growth with self-actualization. The existence needs within this new theory relate to the basic material requirements for living and survival, such as air, sleep, food, water, clothing, sex and shelter, as well as health, secure employment and property. The relatedness needs within this theory relate to the importance of maintaining interpersonal relationships. These are therefore centred on and around the social interactions with others and encompass the levels of love and belonging such as friendship, family, as well as sexual intimacy and aspects of self-esteem involving the gaining of respect from others. The growth needs are then the intrinsic desire for personal development this aligns with the self-esteem related parts of Maslow's hierarchy, such as developing our self-esteem and self-confidence. This also involves our levels of achievement and self-actualization, such as our concept of morality, our levels of creativity, problem solving and discovery. How this differs from Maslow is that within this theory, there is no clear hierarchy within the categories. However, the three categories themselves are within a hierarchy. Within this theory, 
when one category is deemed to be not being met, Holdafer suggests that the individual will focus their attention and efforts towards fulfilling the needs of lower level ones. For example, when the growth needs are deemed to not be met, an individual may look to make up this deficit by focusing their attention on maximizing either the relatedness needs by potentially seeking out respect or recognition from others, or even their existence needs by overeating or overspending and hoarding possessions. Maslow's hierarchy was very rigid and assumes there is a fixed order with an individual unable to meet a higher need unless a lower need was met. Oldifer, however, developed the theory of frustration regression, which refers to the individual resorting to increasing their satisfaction within a lower level need to accommodate the lack of satisfaction within a higher level need. This is a much more flexible model as Oldifer considered the needs as a range instead of a clear hierarchy. Within this theory, an individual can still work on their growth needs, even if their existence or relatedness needs are not met. As a leader, we need to acknowledge that our followers have various needs which must be satisfied, and through the ERG theory, we can consider the three categories which our followers are seeking satisfaction within. When we as the leader concentrate on only one need at a time, we cannot effectively motivate our followers, as this can lead to distraction caused by the frustration regression. Within the workplace, the frustration regression will lead to undesired behaviours. For example, if a leader has not provided their follower with opportunities for growth and advancement, then the follower will feel unsatisfied within their growth needs. This may therefore revert to seeking satisfaction within their relatedness needs by overly socialising with their team members, which can lead to wider implications to productivity as a result of the resulting distractions. Leaders should look to ensure that they are aware of this theory and therefore look to provide an environment which covers motivating factors within each of the three categories. In 1969, Lyndall Erwick, alongside two other theorists, Santosh Rangnakar and William Ucci, suggested the third theory to coincide with McGregor's two theories, X and Y. This third theory is called Theory Z. The two suggestions by Erwick, in order for people to behave in a positive manner and accomplish the goals of both the organisation and their own, are 1. Each individual within the organisation should know precisely what the goal of the organisation is and the amount their efforts contribute towards these goals. Two, each individual within the organisation should know how the goals of the organisation relates positively towards their needs. These two suggestions make people ready to behave in a positive way as they can work towards both the goals of the organisation as well as their own. However, Ucci's Theory Z is the version which has attracted the most attention from business over Erwick's. This differs from Erwick's in the fact that it represents the adoption of Japanese organisational practices. These are characterised by relatively low task specialisation, 
low staff turnover and by primary or holistic relations between employees. This interpretation of the theory suggests that employees within the organisation are not siloed into individual task specialisms and instead have a wider skill set. This in turn could result in the low level of staff turnover within the organisation and a migration away from contractual relations and transactional interactions between employees. Theory Z, in general, puts forward four key aspects of a Theory Z organisation. The first is high levels of loyalty due to strong bonds between employees and the organisation. The second are high levels of employee participation and involvement within the organisation. The third is a lack of formal organisational structure. And the fourth are high levels of development regarding human resources. Uchi's Theory Z then adds additional layers, such as the fifth one being an environment conducive to group decision making. The sixth, a higher degree of social cohesion within the organisation. And the seventh, a holistic concern for employees. As a leader, it is important to consider the impact of becoming a Theory Z organisation on the employees. This approach increases the levels of belonging and acceptance. This improves individual growth of the followers and improves the levels of buy-in. As a motivational model, this helps us to understand how the organisational structure can help to provide an environment conducive to satisfying the different categories of needs within an individual. In 1971, Chris Argeris developed his motivational theory, which is based around how management practices can affect individual behaviours and growth. Within this theory, seven changes take place in an individual's personality that leads to them behaving in a mature manner. The development of an individual's personality sees them progress in their seven behaviours. Each of the seven behaviours therefore has a progression from immaturity to maturity. These are 1. Passivity, demonstrating immaturity, progressing through to activity, being maturity. 2. Immaturity through dependence, progressing to independence at maturity. 3. The capability of behaving in only a few ways, through to the maturity of being capable of behaving in many ways. 4. A shallow level of interest at immaturity, progressing to a deep interest at maturity. 5. Immaturity shown by a short-term perspective through to a long-term perspective at maturity. 6. A subordinate position at immaturity through to a superordinate position at maturity. And 7. A lack of self-awareness at immaturity progressing to a self-awareness and control at maturity. The model here suggests that immaturity in individuals within the workplace exists mainly as a result of the organisational setting and the leadership practices in place. These leadership practices and systems 
can result in task specialization, the hierarchy, the unity of direction, and the remit of the role held by an individual. The structure of the organization, therefore, can easily hold back individuals within the organization, holding them in a more immature position. 1. Clearly defined processes encourages passivity over activity. 2. Outline structures and specialisms encourages dependence over independence. 3. Specialisms, procedures and uniform codes of conduct encourages fewer ways of behaving and therefore immaturity. 4. Roles and responsibilities may stifle interest and curiosity, encouraging immaturity over maturity. 5. Performance management and appraisal processes encourages shorter term perspectives and therefore immaturity. 6. Hierarchical structures clearly define positions as subordinate and superordinate, which again is a sign of immaturity. And 7. Productivity and individualised targets over collaboration and working groups can stifle self-awareness, which maintains immaturity. So as a leader, it is important to recognise this within our team. How can we, within our own organisational structure, look to move the members of our team away from immaturity and provide an environment which encourages maturity? Can we look to gradually shift from the existing pyramid structure to a system which is more flexible and participative? Can we bestow more empowerment and ownership, encourage more interests, exploration and creativity within the workplace? Can we encourage more participation within the workplace? A traditional hierarchical structure has a limited scope under this model to encourage and satisfy the needs of the individuals within the team and therefore continually motivate them. A more participative structure will encourage more growth, development and therefore harbour a more motivational environment. In conclusion, motivation is a psychological response towards a task or activity. As a leader, we should be aware of the part which we play within motivating individuals. Motivation can help people to perform to their highest potential with a positive attitude and grow as individuals. The motivational theories which we have covered within this series give us an indication of how we can go about becoming the motivational leader. First, we need to accept that we have very little control over the motivation of others directly. Instead, it is about the environment we create for our teams. Second, we need to acknowledge that our followers have two motivational stores, intrinsic and extrinsic. We can fall into the trap of quick wins by resorting to the extrinsic motivators, the dangling the carrot method. This will, of course, see an uptake in the short term of performance, but this is a killer in the long term. 
in terms of intrinsic motivation, plus the extrinsic motivator may well need to become increased to see the same level of return which it once did. The intrinsic store is much more powerful, yet, as we have said, this can be impacted by external factors and diminished if the direction of motivation is turned from a pre-existing store of internal motivation towards an external source of motivation. The best source of external motivation which we have and has shown not to diminish the intrinsic motivation, rather increase it, is verbal feedback, if used correctly. We can see from several of the models we have explored that there are several needs which appear to be linked with motivation. Maslow put these in a hierarchy, yet more research by McClelland and Aldifer have shown that these can be grouped and that there may well be a need for some form of balance in each of these categories. This may well be situational and the groupings may well be a combination of those which were used. Existence needs, achievement needs, affiliation or relatedness needs, the need for power and the need for growth. When one of these is being understimulated or not met, individuals can turn towards others through a frustration regression to make up this deficit. This can be both disruptive for the organisation and unhealthy for the individual. It is unlikely that individuals will openly come forward to share that their need is not being met. So as a leader, it is important to keep these five areas in mind for each individual and through discussions find out where your team members are in each of these. Victor Vroom's expectancy model is a very powerful tool, particularly if this is combined with Porter and Law's work. Together, they point to an internal mechanism which individuals consciously or even subconsciously undertake with every task, balancing the level of effort which they need to put in against the performance level they perceive they are able to reach and the level of importance the task has alongside the reward associated with this outcome. In a roundabout way, this is pointing towards a, will my effort lead to an outcome which is beneficial to me, diagnostic. Combining the two pieces of research, we see that the perceived level of support, feedback and recognition will be taken into account with each decision and therefore future decision making will be influenced by the past experience of the individual. As a leader, it is important to be consistent and learn what levels of positive reinforcement each member of the team requires. This feeds into their pot of intrinsic motivation. The individual may well be looking at the task through a lens of either completing the challenge for the personal satisfaction of the perceived outcome and performance, or they may well be considering the task as a way of getting positive affirmation or recognition for their efforts, they may even be considering the task, particularly if it is medial, in terms of a larger bonus for completing it. Therefore, it is important to set out the assignment in such a way that it is clear which experience they will have. However, it is important to not mistakenly place a monetary reward 
perform the task if the task will provide the challenge which will stimulate self-affirmation through achieving a successful outcome of the challenge or a high level of performance, both of which are fed by intrinsic motivation which can be diminished for the next time if an extrinsic reward is used. However, recognition or unexpected rewards after the fact can positively reinforce the intrinsic motivation which was experienced during the task. As a leader, therefore, we need to appreciate that we are in control of the environment for our team to some extent, depending on the scope of our leadership position. Within this, we should look to provide an environment which encourages growth. In order to do this, we need to look at the environment which we create and our use of both feedback and the level of challenge of the tasks which we set in order to encourage the intrinsic motivation of our team. We should also be considering whether we are including our followers within the discussions. If we are empowering them to their own goals, to be creative in their approach to their work and whether they are working towards both accomplishment and growth. The three theories, X, Y and Z, of organisational structure appears to point in the direction of a less authoritarian hierarchy with greater employee empowerment and collaborative working. Providing a scope for organic movement between functions rather than focusing on individual specialisms. Within the organisation itself, we have also found that there are factors surrounding what we have identified as the needs of individuals, both personal needs and in terms of their working environment. These have been denoted satisfiers and dissatisfiers. However, we have found that the line between the two is not a fixed one. People become accustomed to a certain level one which may have previously been a satisfier, which fed some level of previously unmet need and therefore created a level of motivation. However, this can diminish over time. This points towards a need for growth and progress within the needs of individuals in order to trigger motivation. This gives us a clearer sense of how we may achieve continued motivation within the working environment. If we once again take our five categories of needs. One, existence. Two, achievement. Three, affiliation. Four, power. And five, growth. What we can do as a leader is look to utilize a balance of each of these with the members of our team. The environment we create and the individual or collective tasks which we set should look to each of these. Firstly, have we provided an environment which meets the existence needs of our team? This can simply be the provision of food and drink, a warm and comfortable physical workplace. Is there scope here to progress in terms of financial pay? Are there opportunities to earn more within the work that they do? Are there some medial tasks which can be used in terms of financial rewards for short-term extrinsic motivators, which when met, can be used as top-up pay? Is there the opportunity for extra hours? Will this allow the individual in their wider life 
to progress in terms of their possessions, their lifestyle, and improve the home they live in. These are all motivating factors in terms of their existence. For the second, do the members of our teams have the resources needed to achieve in their roles? Do they have opportunities to stretch and challenge themselves in order to feel personal accomplishment? Do they have opportunities to shine and be creative? Are there measurables within their work which they can look to set targets and meet? Are there opportunities for promotion or progression? These are clearly achievement factors and highly motivating. For the third, do we recognise the successes of others? Do we give positive feedback or even feedback which they can work on and then be recognised for the progress which is being made? Do we provide opportunities within their work for teamwork, cross-function collaboration, working with others, or even chances to catch up, make friends, and feel part of a community within the work environment? Do we allow opportunities for our employees to become friends? Are we distant from our team, or do they feel recognised and acknowledged by us? These are affiliation factors and motivate us to become invested in our work. For the fourth, are there opportunities for leadership progression in our working environment? Do we promote from within? Are we recognising performance? Do we give opportunities for teamwork where each person can be empowered? Do we empower regularly? Do we give opportunities for cross-functional projects where the power for innovation and creativity, product development, system and process redesign is bestowed upon working parties? Are we giving the members of our team the opportunity to shine and rise above as a leader and then recognising them when they do? These are power factors and again they motivate us at different times in our career and we need to provide the opportunities for our teams to partake within these when it's right. For the fifth, are we investing in opportunities for our team members to learn and grow? Are we giving them opportunities to explore their interests, get creative and approach challenges head on? Are we telling our employees what to learn or are we providing the scope for them to learn what interests them? Are we making use of the diverse talents and interests of our team? Are we giving them opportunities to teach each other? Are we providing them with the best environment to become the best they can be? Are we holding employees back due to the skills they currently have, which if they moved on, we would lack? Do we show our employees that we care more about their growth and development than we do about keeping the status quo? These are all growth factors, and over time, these can really demotivate, if not present, or motivate, they are. As a leader, a lot of this can be implemented and monitored through regular discussions and helped through a process of goal setting. Goal setting, when done together in a meaningful way, utilizes these five categories and is a powerful way of reminding our team that we are genuinely looking to help them become the best they can be. It is also 
as laid out by Argoris, the best way to move from immaturity to maturity. Looking critically at the systems and structures in place within the organization, we can move to a model which celebrates individual growth and maturity within the seven individual behaviors, which, if held back, can lead to frustrations within the individuals and therefore the organization. As a leader, we should move away from purposefully looking to motivate individuals and instead focus on the environment and the way we lead. If we show individuals that we A, care, and B, want the best for them, they will become more motivated, which will help them to A, grow, and B, improve the performance and outcomes of the organization. As always, I want to finish this episode and this series with three final questions. My first question, how often do we have meaningful discussions with the members of our team which explores how they want their career to go? Do we listen? Do we put in place opportunities for them to work towards this? My second question, how aware are we of our influence on the environment within which our team work and how often do we reflect on the impact which we have had that day or within the last week or year? And my third and final question, how often are we as a leader putting the needs and wants of others above our own? How often do we get these muddled up? How aware are we as the leader of the ability to fulfill our needs and wants through the needs and wants of others? And until next time, remember, to lead requires us to continuously Thank you.